Shomrabyog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collecting Issues, your bi-weekly comic book book club, where this week we'll be taking a look at Hawkeye, Volume 1, My Life is a Weapon, Collecting Issues 1 to 5 of the 2012 Marvel series. Bye. By Matt Fraction and David Aja with extra art by Javier Pulido. And collecting issue six issue of the six Young Avengers. Of the Young Avengers run with Kate Bishop. With Kate Bishop by someone else. Not relevant to this particular podcast because we're focusing on one to five. Can't bloody remember Ben. <laughs> Benjamin. Yes. Hawkeye is probably the most famous character we've talked about on this show. He's definitely the most mainstream character that we've touched on Collecting Issues, yeah. So, bloody, the people, the listeners, Ben, they probably don't need a lot of information, but tell us very briefly, Ben, who even is Hawkeye? So, Hawkeye is Clint Barton. Clint Barton. In his original appearance, he's an El Vilain, Michael. Mm -hmm. He's an El Vilain. He first came to the attention of the public in Tales of Suspense (laughs) uh, in September 1965, issue number 57. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was a carny. His background is as a a traveling thief, a carnie, if you will. Um, And he's he's now a bad egg. Was he an Iron Man villain? Is that how he started? Um, Yeah, in general, he was just kind of a knockoff Iron Man villain with a couple of trick arrows in his in his quiver. Quiver. It's a quiver. Yeah, it's a quiver. Took me a second there. I'm a bloody quiver. I'm I'm all a quiver. Um, Yeah, this particular volume takes a look at Clint Barton in a whole new way. Well, hold on, man. We're not finished talking about who the hell is bloody Hawkeye. Well, he's probably most famous for the 2012 Avengers film. Quite a famous film, Ben. Uh, Yes, quite a famous film. Some would say formative for many a person uh, out there. (laughs) But others would say it's a terrible film. But that doesn't matter because that's not what we're here to discuss today. He's played by Jeremy Renner on screen, who, quite frankly, in the first couple of films, plays him with all the personality of a wet paper bag. Well, Jeremy Renner himself, Ben, has said that, that, he basically played him as a dead-eyed Terminator in the first film. Oh, he sure did. Well, you know, that was a fault of screenwriting more than Jeremy Renner, I think. Yeah, probably. That's it what wasn't. They decided to do with it. The classic Josh Whedon badass character. But Ben, Hawkeye is basically, he's the archer that every superhero universe has. Yeah, so DC has Green Arrow um, and Marvel has... Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Ben, does does Hawkeye predate Green Arrow? No, he doesn't. uh, Green Arrow is a a classic Golden Age, 1950s character. And as we said, 1957 here um, for Hawkeye. He's a copy. But that's not uncommon. Both were copying off each other. Whenever one character became relatively popular, another character would be added on in their parallel universe <laughs> in all anyways they're both Robin Hood they're both Robin Hood exactly it all comes from bloody Nottingham they're all bloody archers shooting an arrow being a kind of a villain with a heart of gold exactly one of the things that became very difficult for them to do is initially when they were brought together they were very superhero and they had their trick arrows and it's all a bit ridiculous and they might shoot you with a boxing top. glove they might shoot you with a boxing glove uh, arrow, which is just ridiculous. How do you fit that in a quiver? How What's going on? Well, how do the aerodynamics on that work? You'd have a net arrow. You'd have an electricity arrow. Um, a and glue arrow. Basically, whatever the plot called for, you had an arrow for that. It was a great deus ex machina or MacGuffin for whatever particular plot you needed to go around. One of the key differences between those two great ones is DC leaned very heavily into Robin Hood and gave him a green costume. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Hawkeye went the opposite direction he's bloody purple purple's well, the key colour they're bloody they're, they're copies by degrees aren't they because yeah. Gre- Green Arrow is close to Robin Hood then Hawkeye is pretty much Green Arrow without the green Yeah. and then after him you get other characters who are basically Hawkeye in a different colour exactly but it's all Robin Hood it's all Robin Hood does all it stem Robin from Hood. Robin Hood Ben this is this is a mythology thing or ha- 
there maybe Robin Hood comes from somewhere mm. because there's always been heroic archers in well, human. Well, Robin Hood is a folk tale, mm. um, but there does seem to be some link between Robin Hood and Crusades. There, there just seems to be Robin of Loxley is what it's based on, and there was a real was there Robin of Loxley. As far as I know, but what I'm saying there was is, a, throughout human history we've had heroic archers. Yeah, that's fair. Artemis. Artemis. Well, goddess of the hunt. Yeah. Mm. Um, for some reason, well, I suppose hunting would have been a much more key pursuit at one point in our existence as people. And the and bow. And the bow being our most useful projectile previous to... Bloody guns being invented. It's our most accurate projectile. Should people still guns. hunt with... Well, if we're going hunting, I bring Michael because Michael can wrestle things. I'll just wrestle deer to the ground. Um, but generally speaking, it's quite a, a key tool but anyway, in our ben, cultural history. Anyway, that's don't know what that has to do with anything what we're talking about today. Uh, let's talk about bloody 2012's Hawkeye yes. by Matt Fraction and David Azure. What I was going to say was, Ben, that's all largely irrelevant because this is a very fresh take on a character who until this point was probably one of the most underwritten Avengers. Very two-dimensional, Michael. Very two-dimensional. And this... what, are, what are his character traits, Ben? Uh, smart mouth. Yeah. He's got he's got some sass. He's got a quip in his quiver. Yeah, he's got a quiver. He's got a little flying motorcycle. Uh, he's got a flying motorcycle. And again, he had a, a shady past. I think they played around with the bad boy from the wrong end of the tracks. Like, I ain't no hero. Yeah. Just an archer trying to do his job. He can do a flip. He can do a flip. He's a little bit acrobatic here and yeah. there. Um, but really, quite underwritten, as you said. Uh, for the first couple of Avengers movies... Not a proper backstory. Mm-hmm. Just a guy who had to go around. He had that little bit of conflict with Quicksilver. Like, kid, you're not a hero. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the comics. If you had yeah. to like talk about the... Not the backstory of the characters, but the character of the characters. I think he, he, he doesn't stand out. He doesn't have no. any... He didn't have any particularly defining traits. No, not really. And in this one, he's borderline Ben. He's bloody well, basically not even a superhero. No, he's not at all. Um, one he's, of one of he's, the he's more like a bloody you. Well, quite a compliment, Michael. I quite <laughs> no, enjoyed I mean, this character. No, I meant it as an insult because he's kind of oh. a schlubby man about town, down on his luck. Steady, <laughs> he's down on steady, his luck. Steady. He's, uh, he'll drink coffee straight out of the pot. Hold. <laughs> he, has a, he has a hangover a lot. Hold. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? What are, you, what are you getting at, Michael? You know what I'm saying? He's a little schlubby at? man about town. What are you getting at? Yeah. Well, sorry. Oh. You know what he has that I don't have, though? Arrows. <laughs> a skill. <laughs> and a dog. So, in issue one, it really sets the tone as something that's not going to be a traditional superhero thing. And right. I think you made a good point about this, Michael, a little bit before we came on air. There's a famous scene in Avengers. Oh, you're going to steal it from me, are you? No, no, no are you going to do it. Oh, well, I do. You're going to do it. Well, Ben, okay. <laughs> that was my way of that was a segue. Letting you jump in. All right, Ben. The best, my favorite scene in the whole bloody thing is the Thanks. first panel, because in the first panel, Ben, take a look at it there. Very good, yeah. In the very first panel, the first page is Hawkeye jumping off a building, Ben, and shooting an arrow. So it is. So there you go. Look, shooting an arrow back up towards the building, Ben. And if you remember. From one of your favorite films, Marvel's 2012's The Avengers. Not true. That is one of the most iconic scenes. Was this, Ben, and we probably could have researched this, did this comic book come out before or after The Avengers? Tough call. It, 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 almost sure. certainly after, because I think I think it's directly used. That is actually, sorry, it, it did come out. The comic came out after the film, and the reason I know that is it was part of Marvel Now, okay. which was the big reboot of the comics to try and capitalize on... on 
the Avengers' success. Very good. Because in the Marvel The Avengers 2012 film, Ben, Hawkeye jumps off a building, mm. takes his last arrow, mm. attaches a grappling hook head, mm-hmm. grapple hooks into the building, smashes through what's probably high tensile strength steel or glass. Glass. Uh, is a bit sore and then gets up and rejoins the fight. Classic. Whereas in this comic book, Ben, mm. he does exactly the same thing. But then the string snaps, which probably would happen in real life. He smashes into the side of the building, falls down, lands on a car, and is hospitalized for six weeks. Classic. And that's very much, I felt, the introduction to this isn't your dad's Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, they're setting the tone. Not, sorry, fairly... I'm not using that as an idiomatic expression. I mean, no. your specific, your dad's Hawkeye. Yeah, well, my, my dad is Hawkeye, as you know. Yeah. Clint Barton is my father, hence yeah. the hilarious joke about me being similar to my father. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, but what I meant was... Um, yeah, it does establish itself as firmly a realistic superhero take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose we should have expected that because we're dealing with Matt Fraction. And one of Matt Fraction's favorite tricks is humanizing otherwise godlike presences or characters. Um, he's a very dialogue driven, very personality flaw driven mm-hmm. kind of writer. And he really focuses in on what Clint Barton's life would be like as a non powered member of the Avengers because I think what's easy to forget is when you see scenes like that with Jeremy Renner in the 2012 thing most of what that man has done is completely superhuman especially oh, yeah. if we boil it down to, to tensile strength glass um, that should have splattered him that should have splattered him no brother a skyscraper and I think you forget that it's like he's only human there's not a lot of abuse you can take like if Hulk flicks him that's it it's game over yeah him. But, although he definitely has superpowers well, he's fiercely accurate. Yeah, too um, accurate. Like he'll play golf and he'll get an eighteen. Yeah, well, I think that's the I think that's the thing that Matt Fraction plays around with here. That's traditionally a bullseye trait for mm. the classic Daredevil villain. Um, and here, he's not just a bow and arrow guy. He's an insanely accurate guy. That's that's his talent. His talent is accuracy. It's not necessarily the bow and arrow is what he chooses to use, mm-hmm. but he can do it with anything, and that's perfectly illustrated in the opening comic. Um, to try and stop a car from hitting a, a dog in Aww. the middle of the street he takes a coin and he flicks it now he misses because the car is moving but it is it's it's he's able to throw this coin with such, with such force. force that it goes through a car window alerts the driver he knows he's not going to make the shot to stop the driver he can only distract him and he chooses to make that shot so he minimizes the damage to the dog Aww. but again this shot sets up exactly what we can expect from Hawkeye. This is a man who tries very hard and fails more often than he wins. And it's it's a really important character arc that he builds in that first issue. The first issue is a bit of a masterclass. Okay, how let's you... bloody talk about the issues. Yeah, <laughs> so let's talk about those issues. The collected issues. The collected issues That's of what that we're here thing. for, isn't it? And in that opening scene, it just sets us up as life. Uh, as to Hawkeye's life Hawkeye lives in an old brownstone building he's on the top floor he is an Avenger but it's not really a key part of his existence and that dichotomy is there from start to finish and what's interesting about the Hawkeye series is that he's mostly referred to as Clint or Clint Burton or Hawkeye or Hawkeye as is the common mistake and it's a real thing of him trying to grapple with his identity as a superhero and an Avenger but also the fact that he's still schlubby Clint Barton, who drinks coffee straight from the pot and is promiscuous and maybe makes some horrible life choices. He makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he makes a lot of mistakes. And I think it's one of the redeeming features for the character. I think this is the way Matt Fraction has written. And I've rarely seen a first issue establish a character's 
essence so quickly as in this. He is constantly trying to be the hero, mm-hmm. but he's applying Avengers logic to an everyday situation where the bad guys are a lot less black and white. Like they're not wearing a big costume. They're Russian. They're they're Russian in this particular case. They're not wearing a costume. They're not easy to see. And he makes a bad call. So the the central issue of the first issue is that the tenants in his building are having their rent raised by the landlord. Yep. The landlord is a Russian landlord, yep. as is not uncommon in New York, from what I'm given to understand, not being up to date on the politics of rent in, in, New, in New York. York rent control and so on. Very often. And he's raising the thing and Hawkeye says, oh, well, I have to sort this out. I have to I have to do something about this. And he goes about it in a typical tra- traditional kind of Hawkeye fashion where he goes and beats the guy up or he tries to beat the guy up. And it's only later at the end of the issue that we realize I'm, I'm perfectly with the, the character. The Russian landlord says I'm perfectly within my rights to raise the rent. It's It sucks for you and your buddies, but I'm raising the rent. And Hawkeye's like, oh. Yeah, what am I going to do about yeah, this? fair enough. Can't kick a man in the head or shoot him with an arrow. Exactly. Now, there is a lot of characterization that goes into this first issue. We understand that the, the Russian guys are a little bit slimy yeah. in this issue. And the way we do that is with a dog because they're very abusive towards this dog. And how do you make your audience hate somebody? Have them kick a dog. Have them kick a dog. It's a classic It's a classic thing to make a heel. Um, and so we establish that and that dog becomes a central part of what we do um, because towards the end of that issue we see the full consequences of his attempts to be a better person in that he gets a dog run over. Yeah, um, stupid Clint. Bloody Clint. Now, not intentionally, not through any direct action, but it's it's a consequence of what he's done throughout the issue. Um, and it's a fantastic piece of storytelling from Matt Fraction. Um, and that becomes the central theme. I'm trying to do right. I very often don't. And it's all about unintended consequences mm-hmm. throughout. A little bit later in a, a later issue, we see he tries to help a woman she comes to him with a classic a sexy lady. A sexy lady. She's got red hair. Lady. She we don't know. She a bit like Mary Jane from Spider-Man. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do. He, Matt Fraction is playing with our expectation of what normally happens in a story like mm-hmm. this. A woman comes to him. We help the woman. The woman falls in love with us. But this time, she's a honeypot. Um, she uses her sexy feminine wiles to get protection from a skilled archer like Hawkeye. She kind of she leads him around. Kinda she gets, he does, he does she, she gets him hook, line and sinker. Um, and it's interesting to see that inversion of a traditional archetype. And I think that's what Matt Fraction is doing in every issue. He's taking your expectation. He subverts it massively. But he always makes it clear that this was the only possible outcome at any point. It's You're never there going, what? It's like, but it's always very clear. It's always in world. We understand the payoff that we're going to get and it's going to be a disappointing one every time. Issue two, Ben, which you've skipped over, introduces probably the most important supporting character. (sighs) (laughs) Don't you get annoyed at me just because we're recording this for the second time. Who's the most important supporting character? The most important supporting character, Ben, is Hawkeye. (laughs) Kate Bishop Hawkeye. Kate Bishop Hawkeye. Kate Bishop Hawkeye. So Tell tell us about Ben. Who even is Kate Bishop? Who even is Kate Bishop? So Kate Bishop came to us in the form uh, from Young Avengers. Young Avengers are basically... Younger counterparts to the Avengers. Yeah. Shock. Yeah, um, young Avengers. I get it. Yes. I get it. Um, I get For the listeners, Michael. I get um, and Kate Bishop is his... She's an heiress. She's yeah. quite a rich lady. Yeah. Um, but she's she has taken suit. over the mantle of, of Hawkeye. 
Um, and Hawkeye is her mentor mm. and it introduces to a very important relationship throughout the entire comic which is the mentor-mentee relationship between Kate Bishop and Clint Burton he doesn't want to sleep with her that's he doesn't important. want to sleep with her but that's very important because he is for all intents and purposes a promiscuous character he likes to get the leg over mm. that's just fine that's, we'll have no judgement for people that happen to enjoy getting the leg over drinking coffee straight from the pot drinking coffee straight from the pot living a schlubby lifestyle adopting dogs left right and centre but he doesn't want to sleep with her and that's important and it's established as it's not something he hasn't considered it is something he has weighed up and gone no I'm not sleeping with Kate Bishop and it introduces us more importantly she acts as a wonderful window into how Clint Barton views himself go on and that is Clint Barton I think suffers from a heavy dose of imposter syndrome oh where he we w- were talking about this last week we were we were where he in looks in real life in real life not on the podcast not on the podcast and we were having a heart to heart over coffee in the pot uh, <laughs> <laughs> and schlubbing about schlubbing about we had just hit a dog with our car <laughs> <laughs> There's a little, little water. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, what it introduces it into, it, it introduces us to Clint Barton's imposter syndrome, Go where on. he doesn't feel he deserves to be an Avenger. Right. And we can see that quite often when he makes that jump mm-hmm. to try and be an Avenger, he jumps into situations the way he thinks he's supposed to. And then makes a Hames of it. As a big hero and then makes a Hames of it. What a great phrase. One of my favourite phrases makes in Hames Hames language. Yeah, oh, good, I love it. it. Um, and makes an absolute Hames of it. Um, and again, every failure that he suffers compounds that belief that he's not really an Avenger. He thinks that she's better than him. He does. And he frequently says that about her. But then we get a window into who Kate Bishop is. And she will say, he's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. He's good. I can always come to him with a problem. I can depend on Clint Burton. But he doesn't see that about himself. And it's a great understanding of just why he keeps jumping in head first Because he feels that he has to be an Avenger. But he isn't quite sure how to do it. In the same way. Issue 2 shows us some great examples of how they work together as a team and trust each other. There's a lot of teaming up with no communication. They just know what to do. They are in perfect rhythm. There's also a great Blade Runner reference in Issue 2. The woman that Kate Bishop has to take down in the wig is uh, a complete reference to uh, the replicant in Blade Runner 2. who Played by her name. Uh, Michelle Fife's. It's not Michelle Fife. It's Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. Yeah. And she... What's her name? I can't remember. Daryl Hannah Robot. Yeah. Daryl Hannah Replicant. Anyway, this Um, isn't a Blade Runner fan cast. It's a nice thing uh, that we see in there. But I think issue two really showcases David Aja's talent um, as an artist who can jump between everyday life with minimal simplicity to fantastic action sequences and colour palettes and things like that. Tell us about the colour palettes, Ben, because we're about to talk about issue three and four. Yeah. And and oh, sorry, four and five. And yeah. then that changes things up that a bit. That changes so. things up a little bit. So uh, one of the best things about this uh, volume, about this trade paperback, yeah. is that it actually gives you a little window into David Ash's art process. He provides a little guide to how he colours an issue. And he does it all in blocks in his head first before he applies it to his finished line art. Um, so he's really working from a color theory point of view and each issue will get uh, close enough to its own unique color palette or each storyline will get its own unique issue color two palette. Issue kind of blues and purples. Blues and purples, a lot of neon. It's a night scene, so he's chosen yeah. those very importantly. You'll notice that when the action really kicks off, he will use orange to cut through it to make you focus on a yeah. certain panel or something like that. Um, Whereas issue three then is more yellows and oranges. 
You want some more and muted, reds, uh, earthy colors, earthy tones, because we're back to real life. Mm. We're now dealing with a non-superheroic moment, and that's kind of the way it works. Issue one uh, is a regular, everyday kind of thing in New York City. Issue two is Avengers level kind shenanigans. Of, yeah. uh, issue three, back to what we're doing, mm. and then issue four and five jumps us back into Avengers meets Clint Barton. Midway has Captain America in it with blonde eyebrows. It does bloody blonde eyebrow Captain America. No ben, good. Famously here at the podcast, collecting issues. This podcast that you're listening to, we're not huge fans of uh, artist changes during runs. Hate them. So tell us about the artist change in this this collected series of editions. So uh, Javier Polito takes over issue four and five uh, from David Azure, maybe to give him a breather from his fantastic storytelling. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but um, as you as you so accurately pointed out off mic Michael and I'm going to let you say it because I don't want to stop no you go bit. ahead this time I'm going to let you finish yeah, I'm going to let, let you finish, finish. I'm going to let you finish uh, he apes that style a little bit he does um, I think there's a fierce economy of storytelling going on in David Ash's work I've rarely seen someone so capable of mapping out a comic book panel with perfect fluidity where you can follow from start to finish there's no confusion when you read a David Aja mm. page you flow naturally. A lot of design thought has gone into it. And the characters are very minimally drawn. And yet you're, they're perfectly recognisable. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it's a fantastic achievement by David Aja to... There's so much happening in each panel. And you follow it without breaking a sweat every I think, time. I think it can be said that Javier Polito pulls it off. Oh, he apes it very well. But I... I I'm not familiar with his work in general, but... I think he's a fill-in artist by trade. I think is he? That's, I think he because, picks up the slack. Because he... I don't know what his personal style looks like, but were you not a comic book aficionado, I feel that you wouldn't necessarily notice the difference in art between immediately. I think the bigger difference is the bigger the difference in colouring. Yes. But the difference in the line work and the panels, I think you could get away with there's hints of a Darwin Cook about it as well. Yeah. that I mean, again, another revolutionary artist in terms of how to simplify something and keep fluidity. It probably comes a lot more from people who I think probably are more design orientated or illustration orientated as opposed to comic book orientated. Comic book well, there's a huge, you can see a really huge difference when you compare issue six of Young Avengers. Yeah, which is super comic booky, vivid colors, yeah. nothing muted, no pastels, nothing yeah. like that. Go, go, go. Very frenetic, a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. But it's almost messy in comparison, in comparison to what we've been reading comparison. previous. Although probably tighter lines. Yeah, but again... Oddly enough, I think the David Aja Javier Polito work is meant to be sketchy because yeah. you're looking at a man who isn't put together and it's a really complimentary art style that goes so well um, with these issues. I love reading his pages and you'll recall, Michael, when we initially reviewed this on our other podcast, um, you allowed me to borrow many of those issues um, and I really enjoyed pouring over them, Michael. Just really? To, just Was that the first time you them. read it? Uh, no, no. I had read it on a, on a, on a, a computer. Oh God! From a comicsology. Oh, but this episode not sponsored by comicsology. Not, not sponsored by comicsology, but it's the only place I know how to legally <laughs> obtain comics on the internet, and I can't say where I actually obtain comics on the internet. Very good. Um, but it's much nicer to read in person, and it's always nice to get the little breakdowns from David Ayer himself. I think it's a beautiful union between him and Matt Fraction. Matt Fraction is a very story-driven guy, and David Ayer just seems to have a great understanding. Also. Go on. Whenever we've posted about Hawkeye on our Instagram, David Ash has given us a like. <laughs> uh, so he's a very attentive person. He, he quite enjoys that. There's um, 
there's some interesting things that happen in this Ben a bit of playing around with the medium of comics Um, you and I have both read much further into this in fact we've both read all of it but we're only talking about this particular collection as is what we do here at Collecting Issues yes but you can see the kind of seeds of Matt Fraction playing with the medium in this for example the speech bubbles when Clint hears a Russian conversation around the corner we see in the speech bubbles not what's actually being said, but Clint Barton's interpretation of what's being said. So the first time he hears it, it says, Spanish, maybe? And then he goes around the corner and it says, no, maybe Italian? And then finally he realizes it's Russian. Then later on, he gets a a whack in the head and someone is speaking to him or threatening him. And it doesn't say what the person threatening him says. It says something like, something mumbled backwards underwater. Yeah. There's that little bit of playfulness with the media. It's a great way to immerse people in it as well, though, because we only see that world from Clint's point of view. Right. Um, and it's it's great for us to kind of experience that um, from his perspective. It really heightens your sympathy for the character as you go mm-hmm. along. Because you realize that he is just bumbling through a lot of this experimenting across the board with the medium in general we have the car chase in issues four issue four is it just issue four issue three issue three. Oh, this is issue three mm-hmm. so in issue three we have a car chase and i've never seen a car chase done quite so well hard to do a car chase hard in the comic book <laughs> but they they get it they get it there are also other examples for uh, they play around with censorship a little bit and anyone who's listening to this episode can see it in the thumbnail um there is a nude scene mm-hmm. where Hawkeye is leaping from the bed as it's shot up to bits by some Ruskies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a Hawkeye mask that just appears to to gently censor his genitalia. Yeah. Uh, the best way to censor his genitalia. But that is also Certainly. the only time that we see him full costume. Traditional Hawkeye costume is, is the mask. It's, yeah, it's, it's almost it's, a bit of a joke, isn't it's it? A, yeah, it is. It's, a, it's an absolute little, it's a slight little wink. Ben, you were saying that uh, you like the way that they show, they develop characters through through events and through actions rather than exposition. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about that. So um, we can see, as I said, Hawkeye is a man that's doing his best um, and frequently fails um, in that pursuit. And I think, I just love the way Matt Fraction can build relationships without exposition, without dialogue, without anything like that. I think, again, coming back to issue one, because it's such a strong start, his worry over a dog that isn't his is phenomenal. And I don't think he cares about the dog. I think he's trying to assuage his own sense of guilt in that moment because he's throwing money at the problem. He's like, just fix the dog. Fix the dog, you son of a doctor. And I think the dog becomes a redeeming character. He's a very important window into who Clint Barton is and he does become a redeeming feature over the rest of the issues. But that's not what we're talking about here, Michael. We don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. But you can see very often he struggles at what he's at and Again, Matt Fraction does a lot of building here on character development because later on we find out that the, the red-headed lady that he sleeps with... Oh, man, we don't... Yeah, but it's important in the grand scheme of it to understand yeah, you don't know the, it. the groundwork. You don't know okay, it if you're fine. only reading we these issues. We don't know it if we're reading these issues. Fair enough. There are other moments. Uh, the Kate Bishop relationship, as I said, makes a huge push towards that. But we get to see Hawkeye interact with the other tenants in the building. And that's a huge way of understanding, first of all, how the Avengers are perceived in this world how Hawkeye is perceived in this world, and more importantly, how Hawkeye interacts with the rest of the world. So one of the one of the real refrains of this comic is, I'm an Avenger. Mm-hmm. He, he will say this quite a lot. And someone will go, are you? Are you now? And then other people will be like, are you, you Iron, Fist Iron Fist? Or something? Because it's a blonde guy. Yeah. Um, uh, and we're never sure. Iron Fist. And his 
proclamation of I'm an Avenger does nothing to calm people down. They're just like, so? So? What do you want me to do about it? Everyone's Avengers. Yeah, everyone's Avengers. What, what, what do you want me to say here? Um, and we see it again, I think, in terms of issue number two. One of my favorite things is the swordsman is one of the key villains of, of issue number two. So we have the ringmaster, who's a classic 60s Marvel villain, mm-hmm. Daredevil. He debuted with Daredevil. He's a hypnotist. He has a little yeah, hypno a, wheel in his, yeah, his Classic hat. carny villain from the um, 60s. And the swordsman, who it turns out is kind of like a blood brother to, to Clint. Not a genetic. They were kind of bonded in fire together. They were trained by the same man. Trained by the same man. And they've gone very separate paths. The, the swordsman is a, a real bad egg. Um, and he kind of fancies himself as a bit of a Errol Flynn swashbuckler Errol Flynn you. swashbuckler and Clint is a far more pragmatic guy and he's just like just come on man just just stop just stop, stop. Um, and you know he, he the swordsman really tries to get under Clint's skin by saying you think you're so much better you think you're so much this you think you're so much that um, and again we don't have Clint go through his own backstory Matt Fraction leaves it up to this interaction to show us his backstory. It's not Clint going, oh, I knew the swordsman from when I, back in the day. Flashback. And there's nothing like that. It's all done. And we have Kate Bishop kind of going, oh, how does he know this person? Because she's not 100% sure about Clint Mm -hmm. either. Like they they don't know each other's backstories in that way. Um, And it's a fantastic way to build a rapport between those two. Stop shooting me with a tiny robot. Um, It's a fantastic way to build up that relationship. And it just continues over the whole runway. Ben, would you give this comic a Ben's Recommends? This is like, this is one of the number one Ben's Recommends. This is a joyous love letter to a character that didn't really get enough recognition. Um, And one of the few examples where I think the comic book has far outweighed the movie representation of the character I would have loved to have seen more Clint Barton Matt Fraction David Aja in later things in the Avengers but we didn't get that we went a different way with with Jeremy Renner Jeremy Renner's character is very the opposite of this wholesome Christian values across the board down to earth carpentry loving family having I've just got a ranch and me and my family are going to live it out with my secret wife and my secret hobbies in my it means that, unfortunately, life. Ben, despite the fact that they're using the logo for this as the logo for the Hawkeye TV series, it's not going to be an adaptation of this, I don't think. We're going to get a Kate Bishop. Yeah, we'll get Kate Bishop, but it won't be, shall it be Clint Barton living in, a, in an apartment? I'd love an Elseworlds little No, little no Elseworlds. We can't have get, one of them. Get out of here. I no. can't have one of them. No. Not a Marvel ben, what if? No, we're not having. Ben, if people like this, what else should they read other than obviously the rest of this? Yes, we'll read the entire run. It's great. But if you're a fan of it and it, it, it really butters your biscuits, so to speak, yeah. uh, get yourself involved in Casanova, which is Matt Fraction's image series mm. about uh, an interdimensional time-hopping Casanova super spy. Um, it's like this in Go that it's, it's not exposition-heavy, it's all done through dialogue and scenarios and things like that. But it takes a hefty, hefty dollop of classic 50s sci-fi out there, uh, 1960s bizarre Ray Bradbury moments and meshes them all into one narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a very flawed, um, fragile male ego central protagonist that's very enjoyable to kind of see him kind of navigate his way through a lot Does of he have a awful situations. Hair? No, he's very much Casanova. He's a very handsome... Um, dapper man but a long-suffering male egotist and it's coming back to haunt him in several ways great run to take a look at as you go along if you're individual storytelling in general 
check out more European comics. It's quite a European influence. There's a bit of Europeanness uh, to it, all right. Comic run, um, swashbuckling events and things like that. Ben, a lot of a lot of this, a lot of the series itself is very TV like in its presentation. Yes, it absolutely is. For example, it has that that most episodes start with the classic TV uh, trope idea in media's res. They start in media's res, Ben. What they would call on TV a cold open. Yes, and. So we see him in a situation and then it flashes back and we see the results of how he got into that situation. So if you enjoy that sort of the TV aspect to it, there's lots of TV series that you might enjoy. Stacks. Like bloody Alias. Classic. Well, Alias is a mad show, but I mean, it has a the kind of similar spy espionage element, element to it. I also, Ben, quite enjoyed and... Although it's set in a very different part of America and it has a very different tone, it has some of the same ideas as the TV show Chuck. Yeah, the beats are the same. Yeah, it's got, you know, a kind of schlubby down his look character. This one is more of a nerd than a, a Casanova. Yeah. But, you know, and then a woman comes into his life, is very competent and skilled, and they get very. involved in a bloody spy excitement every week. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's very good. In comics terms, Ben, did you ever read the comic book Mockingbird? No, I haven't. Mockingbird. I think, Ben, it came out two years ago, maybe one year ago, two, one or two years ago, but Chelsea Kane. Ooh. Do you know who Mockingbird is, Ben? Mockingbird is the sometimes wife, sometimes not wife of uh, Clint Barton. Sometimes wife, sometimes ex-wife, sometimes scroll. Yeah. Sometimes a superhero, sometimes a biologist. She, She's an Avenger as yeah. well. So if you like the idea of a kind of an Avenger on their time off or what they're doing when they're not avenging, very it's important. a very it's a it's a good little comic. I think it got cancelled after issue six or issue eight, Ben. Yes, and there was quite a lot of backlash about feminism. Oh, settle down, neckbeards. <laughs> settle down. So, so much so to the point that in issue five, I think on the cover, it's Bobby Morse, Mockingbird, in a T-shirt that says, "Ask me about my feminist agenda." Good woman. That's that's <laughs> a way to stick it to the the fedoras. Stick yeah. it to them. Got him. So yeah. that's it from us for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Have you read? Um, Hawkeye, did you enjoy it? Did you keep up to date with it? Did we miss any of the wonderful insights that you might be able to give us? For anyone who's been enjoying the podcast, in two weeks' time, we'll be taking a look at Sarah by Garth Ennis and Mike Epting. Mike Epting. Steve Epting. Steve Epting, uh, which is from TKO uh, Studios. And it's a little bit different from what we've covered here on the podcast before because it's a historical biopic. Of, is it? Of a, of a real woman who worked for uh, the Ruskies. Um, and it was given to us and it was suggested to us by one of our listeners Cron Crafts so thank you very much Cron we will be taking a look at it a little bit different Ben from our usual yes it looks very interesting it's taller than your average comic as well it is it's taller and a bit thicker it's a a thicker taller comic and we like them thick here at the podcast so check it out and come back to us in two weeks where we'll be discussing Sarah I've just just flicked it open there Ben I've seen a panel of a woman getting shot I hope that's not a major spoiler well (laughs) let's find out so we'll see you next week two weeks from now ladies and gentlemen bye bye